So, uh, so video gaming is a multi-billion dollar industry. Massive amounts of money coming out because of video gaming. In fact, researchers say that two out of every three American households have some kind of video gaming system within it. Anybody in the room? Be honest, come on. Now, now video games, they, they have actually a strange history. We actually have the, the very first kind of idea of video games actually show up right after World War II. In 1952, you have a British professor who comes up with the first creative thought towards creating interactive gaming platform. In 1958, you see a man named William Higginbotham who uses military technology to come up with a game called Tennis for Two, though it was really designated to only one type of computer. But it wasn't until 1972, until the first video game came out, that people would agree on this is the very first video game called Pong. Look at y'all so smart. Good job. Yeah. 1972, Pong comes out. A few years later, Atari releases Pong on their system into households all over America. 1972. Now, this game of Pong is a great game. Anybody played Pong till their brains burst when they were a kid? Anybody in the room? Yes. On the Atari at my grandparents' house, like constantly, all of the time. So what I want to do this morning is, um, I, I know in the room probably there's some video gamers, like true blue video gamers. If you're a video gamer in the room, would you raise your hand loud and proud? Come on, nerds, a new night, we got this. Now, here's the truth. Some of us in the room, we've never done video games in our life. So I want to level the playing field a little bit this morning to make sure that everybody has the same experience as we go into our discussion today. So together as a congregation, we're going to play Pong together. Cool? Here's how it's going to work. You'll see a screen on the sides. and right. Oh, I'm just kidding. On the sides. What's going to happen here is we as a congregation, we are Team Blue. Everyone say Team Blue. You don't sound very excited. <laughs> you still don't. So... We are Team Blue, okay? That little line right there on the side, that's gonna be the, the line that we control. This is sound sensitive. So the louder you get, the higher that bar will go. The quieter you get, the lower the bar will go. Let's try this really quickly, okay? I'll be honest with you, nine o'clock was terrible at this. We lost three times in a row. I'm expecting more out of 1045. Y'all are more awake, okay? So, so help me here, okay? The louder you get, the higher that bar goes, the quieter we get, the lower it goes. Are you ready? Follow my hand, ready, go. I didn't put my hand down. One more time, you can do this, I promise. Here we go, ready, go. Okay, get it? So what's gonna happen? We're gonna play the computer here. We are on a team, okay? The goal is to hear just not to lose three times in a row like we did at nine o'clock, okay? I believe in you, I trust in you, we can do this. I'm gonna try to help you just by hand raising and lowering, okay? So if we can work together as a team, I think we can do this. Fair enough? Y'all don't seem very excited about this. Say, fair enough. fair enough? Here we go. Let's play Pong. Two, one. Now, wait. <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> I got way too excited. Okay, I apologize. We'll try to be a little, a little easier about this. Wow, I was so excited. I thought, I thought we had it, though. But we didn't. Here we go. Uh, uh. Oh, we're alive, we're alive, it's okay. Get ready. Oh my gosh, y'all are amazing. <laughs> Not even close. Okay, one more time. I just want us to get one point for the morning. Just one out of six is really bad, but better than I thought, probably. So okay, here we go. One more time. Three, two, one. Wait, 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 so excited. Eva? Oh my gosh. Oh! 
Hey, give yourselves a hand. Well done. That was so close. I thought we had it that time. But you can see, you can see why in 1972 when a game like this comes out, you freak out, right? You can't play, wait to play Pong. It's the best thing on the planet. But truth is, even after playing this three times, you realize this is a very limited game. It's pretty static. You kind of just do the same thing over and over and over. You can just hope the ball doesn't go through your side, try to get to the opposing side. That is what this game is all about. Now, 1979, you have the next game that comes out that really changes the whole game of video game landscape called Galaxian. Anyone in the room, Galaxian? There were some fans at nine o'clock. This game is the first game that's ever had levels to it. So all of a sudden, you go from this kind of static play to all of a sudden, now there's a way to progress. There's a way to level up. There's a way to experience more. There's a way to do something else to improve. This is revolutionary for the video game experience. In fact, it starts the golden age of video games where all of a sudden we find ourselves now playing all kinds of crazy stuff and in crazy ways, but it all began in 1972 with Pong, in 1979 with Galaxian. Because something inside of every single one of us wants to know what happens next. Like, what's on the next level? I wanna know how the story goes. How does this story kind of evolve? How does it change? How does things transform? Something inside of all of us wants to know. This is why video games are such a huge hit for us. In fact, researchers have done research into why video games are such a big deal. And they have found out that the reason something would be considered a great video game and something else considered a bad video game is very simple. And it's simply this. It is the perfect balance between challenge and reward. That's what makes a great video game a great video game. It's got perfect balance between challenge and reward. The game is challenging, but not so challenging that you can't ever level up, you can't ever make any kind of change, you can't ever really progress in any kind of way, and if it's too challenging, guess what we do? Boom, turn it off. But also, it has to be rewarding, but not too rewarding, because if it's too rewarding, guess what, we get bored and we turn it off anyway, we put the controller down. It's gotta have the perfect balance between challenge and reward. To be able to work hard and at the same time be rewarded for the hard work we put in, challenge and reward. It's not just true in gaming. It's true in life as well. So today, we're starting a brand new series called Level Up. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at all of the different ways that we have been given opportunities as followers of Jesus Christ to experience the next level in life, to experience more, to see what else is out there, to move forward, to progress, and to improve. So most people I know in my life, they want to improve in some kind of way. Like most every person I know wants to be able to experience the next level of life, to see what else is out there, to progress in some kind of way. But what's true also is that most people I know don't actually experience this. And so the question we wanna look at for the next seven weeks is why? If this is possible for us, how do we experience it? How do we experience the next level? Because here's what I want you to know, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've experienced today, God wants more for you. God wants you to experience the next level. So to really get at what I wanna talk about this morning to set up the rest of the series is a very kind of fundamental beginning. I wanna go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and chapter three. I wanna start at level one, if you will, okay? So at the very, very beginning, what I wanna talk about is we as followers of Christ, there's a certain gospel that we have bought into, a certain thing that we understand about salvation and what Jesus has done for us and what the kind of impact that it's had upon our life. Most people I know, they believe the Bible starts in Genesis chapter three according to the way they live and according to the way they see the gospel. Because in Genesis chapter three, you see the fall take place. Man and woman eat of the fruit that was forbidden from them. There's disobedience. Entering into the world is death and destruction. 
And there's a breakdown between the relationship between us and God, us and creation, us and one another, and us and ourselves in Genesis chapter three. Most people I know, when it comes to the gospel they believe, it begins there. We're broken. But here's the problem. Genesis does not begin in chapter three. It begins in what? Chapter one. And in the first chapter, before there's anything that's broken, things are whole. Before there's any kind of strife, there is relationship. Before anything is sinful, there is a good creation. God created things good. In fact, the Bible says after he creates everything, he looks at it and he says, this is what? Very good. When we fundamentally shift the way we think about the gospel from being about all the things that we've done wrong and how broken we are, but instead see the gospel not just as something that forgives us of our sins, but also something that gives us an opportunity to be restored to what we were always intended to be in the first place, that is a major shift in our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. Especially coming on the heels of Easter, this is not just about being forgiven of our sin. This is allowing God to work in our life to make us into the people that he's always intended for us to be within creation at the very beginning. But it comes back to how do we see this? What do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about sin? In the Miller household, the weekends are a very exciting time. And the reason is because as long as everybody's behaved themselves all week long, on the weekends, guess what gets turned on? The Xbox. And the boys go crazy. So if we get all the way through the week, everything's gone well, we hit Friday, they come home from school, it's Xbox time. And so the Xbox gets turned on, they start to play. The hard part is, because I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, it's really difficult to find a game they can both play together and get along for longer than, I don't know, two minutes. And so they'll go upstairs and start playing games, doing whatever, and occasionally you'll find like the perfect game and things going well for about like 11 minutes. And then always what happens is my youngest son gets very upset because the older one is a little better with a controller in his hand. And the younger one finds out, I can't get to the level, I can't get to the place where Eli's going to, I get frustrated, he starts going bananas. But if you listen to him from downstairs, it's the same thing every single time. Here's what he says, I can't do it, I'm stupid. I'm like, whoa. But before I can say anything, occasionally my older son will step in and give a bit of an Xbox pep talk. Now, given, he realizes if the younger one quits, he's playing by himself. So he's got a little extra initiative here, but... What he'll do oftentimes is he'll look at Owen and be like, listen, you are doing good. Don't give up. You're not stupid. You can do this. Keep trying. I believe in you. You get a little Xbox pep talk. You can keep that kid involved for a little bit longer. I learn a lot of stuff from my kids. But occasionally when I listen from downstairs as they play upstairs, I begin to hear the gospel in a way that too often I forget about it. Here's the thing. You are not broken beyond repair. You are not destined to be stuck on whatever level you find yourself on today. The situation you're finding yourself in today does not have to be the situation you find yourself in tomorrow. That's the good news of the gospel. Not just that you're forgiven, but you are loved. You are made for more. You were created to level up. God has an intention for your life to bring you back to what he's always intended you to be, and it's possible. In fact, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see the reflection of the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we change into his glorious image. This morning, if you are someone who has placed their faith and their hope and their trust in our Jesus Christ, the one last week that we celebrated who didn't stay dead but instead is alive, very alive today, walking along with us, 
If we've placed our faith and our hope and trust in him, God is working and transforming us into his glorious image. God wants you to experience the next level. We're gonna be walking through the book of 2 Peter, really the first chapter, kind of for the next few weeks. And in 2 Peter, we see the last book, the last letter that Peter writes to the early church. We know it's his last letter because not long after it's penned, he's actually executed. He's killed for his faith. And so in this letter, as he writes to the early church, what he's doing is he is saying all the things that he really, really wants to say because he knows this might be my last thing I get to say to them. And so in chapter one, he's very clear in trying to communicate something to the early church. Don't miss this. Don't forget this, church. Here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Here's what Peter says. Don't forget this. You have everything you need for a godly life right now within you. And because of his great and good promises, you have everything you need to participate in the divine nature of God. That's an audacious statement for Peter to make. So I don't know about you, I'm sure it was the same then too. I don't often feel like I have all that I need to live a godly life, amen? In fact, I'm thinking about a hundred things that I could add to my life to make myself more like Christ. But Peter says, no. You've been given everything that you need to live out this life that God has for you. You've been given everything that you need to experience the next level. No matter how you feel, it's within you. So Peter's point is this. There is a whole other level available to us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've experienced up to this point in time, there's another level that Peter believes that we can experience. There's a maturity gap, isn't there? Because there's the ideal. This is what it needs to look like, but it's also, there's the real. What my life actually looks like. It's all that God desires for us and then what we actually experience. There's a difference between those two things. And so a lot of us, including myself, we live our life with this smoldering frustration that I will never be able to turn the corner on some of this stuff. Like it'll always be a part of our life. It'll always haunt us. It'll always be this. But Peter says, listen, you have to believe something. You have everything that you need in your life to experience godliness, to participate in the divine nature. So you, you can be an engaged and thoughtful dad no matter how you feel about it right now. Your, your marriage could actually be strengthened even though right now you're ready to throw in a towel and give it up. According to Peter, you may have addictions in your life that overcome you, but you actually don't have to be as vulnerable as you are now forever. Peter believes that we have everything that we need to experience this ideal that God has for us, not just the real. To experience the next level that he wants for us, the godly life, instead of the life that we're actually living now. I remember when I was a kid, when my family got the very first, for us, Nintendo. Like the original Nintendo, anybody else, the NES system? Holler. Thank all two of you. So when we got this as a kid, I remember we, I was so excited. All I wanted to do was play Nintendo like all the time. Until later on, I sold it to buy a tortoise. It's a whole other story. I'm a real, real, real big dork. But I had a Nintendo for a little bit. And my favorite game to play on that Nintendo was the Super Mario Brothers. Anybody else in the room? The best game ever made, ever. 
And I remember playing through this game and you would get like the mushroom and grow big or you get the star and you'd be like, this was so cool. And I remember thinking, I would get so frustrated when I couldn't make it through a level because I would look at it and be like, I don't understand. I know exactly what I have to do. If I can avoid that bad guy, if I can jump over this pitfall that I keep falling into, if I can make it to that green pipe, then I will make it to the next level. But every time I tried, I couldn't do it. It'd be so, so frustrating to me. There's only one thing that kept me working at it. Only one thing kept me going for it. Guess what it was? The fact that it was possible. I really believed if I tried hard enough, gave it enough time, enough tries, didn't get frustrated so much, I actually could experience the next level of Super Mario Brothers. I think the same thing happens within our life too. For some of us, we've thrown in the towel already. We are so frustrated with how difficult this life is. The difficulty level goes far beyond what we can handle, and so we're done trying to get the next level. We're just trying to survive right now. And for some of us too, our life is not about anything that really matters, and so a lot of us, we are bored out of our minds. And so we've thrown in the towel too. We've given up, ever giving to the next level. So Peter says, you have all that you need for life and godliness. It's, it's within you now. And then he says this in chapter one, verse five, right on the heels of what he just said. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. For this reason, what reason? The reason he's just given us. Because we have everything that we need, make every effort within your life to add to your faith goodness. Now, Peter's about to launch into a whole bunch of traits that look like God. These are all of the different places in our life that we, if we're committed to developing these traits and we experience the growth within them more and more and more, we, as he says in verse eight, will be, will be a productive and effective in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. So he lists all kinds of things like self-control, perseverance, knowledge, love, mutual affection. He lists these different traits as if to say, this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. This is what it looks like to experience the next level. And he says, if you are committed enough to grow within these different areas more and more and more, you'll be effective and productive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. But here's the key. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of these different kinds of things within our life, but none of them, none of them will happen without getting this first piece. Without understanding the first thing that he says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness. Now this word goodness that he chooses to use is a very, very loaded Greek word. It's the Greek word arete. And it's describing the highest quality of excellence. Arete is like life in perfect balance. It's when humans are hitting on every single cylinder. This goes beyond just like helping the old lady cross the street, goodness. It goes beyond just dropping some change like at the register on your way out from a restaurant. It's, it's bigger than that. In fact, the word goodness used here is the same word that's used a few verses before to describe who God is. So Peter says the goodness that you need to add to your life, it looks like God. It's how I've described God. It seems like a big task. Add to your faith goodness. There have been these moments in my life where I've experienced this kind of goodness, but they're very brief, few and far between. There have been these moments where I've realized that like, like for this, this moment, I'm like loving my family with a pure kind of love, like a real selfless love, and then it's gone. There have been these times in my life where I've become really generous, and I've, I've just had this, this desire to be generous towards others, to be honest about myself. I've experienced it from time to time. I've experienced this like deep trust that God loves me, and he's providing for me and taking care of me, but here's the thing. They happen very, very briefly. 
And every time I live into this, all of a sudden I'm like, this, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like to live the goodness of God, to treat people the way they should be treated, to love people the way they should be loved, to be able to say that this thing is not okay and this is the way that we should live, to be able to realize that we are loved by God, truly loved by him. But the goal that Peter states is this, when you experience these things, you begin to live into it more and more and more. It's not just a brief thing that happens from time to time, but instead this becomes the experience that we have for our life more often than not, in a consistent kind of way. And maybe even hearing that, it's like, yes, I want that. That sounds so good. But here's the question I have to ask. Do you believe this is possible? I mean, it sounds great. It sounds awesome, Peter. But do we really believe this is possible for us? Do we believe that we have everything that's been placed inside of us to experience a godly life? Because I am convinced that the main reason we don't experience the more that God has for us is in the end, we don't actually believe it. In the end, a lot of us in this room, we've just kind of settled on this is what life is like. I can't fathom anything different. It'll always be like this. My kids will, will always feel this way about me. My marriage will always be like this. My job will always be like this. I'll always feel this kind of way about this thing. And for too often, when we feel that way, we just throw in the towel. It's just what it is. And what happens is we don't actually believe that God can do work within us. But here's the thing, it's not just possible, it's already true about you. It's not just possible, it's already true about you. It's about discovering it and living into it. For instance, do you realize that for a large part of human history, every human believed that the world was flat? Now I realize there are some who still, but it's a whole other sermon. Um, but to believe that the world was flat meant that if you sailed a ship in a certain direction for long enough, eventually you would fall off the other side. And so all of a sudden, there was a certain way that you had to think about everything based upon what you believed about how the world was, was built and structured. And when all of a sudden we began to realize that it's not flat, but instead it's actually a globe, you began to realize you don't just fall off, you can go to the other side. That's a massive shift. But here's the thing. Guess what didn't happen? When they realized it was a globe, it didn't suddenly become a globe. It already was. It was true before they ever realized it. What Peter is trying to wake us up to is the fact that we, as we've placed our faith and our hope in Jesus, what is already true about us is the thing that if we can change the way that we think, it'll change the way that we live. That you are already loved. That God is already at work within you. But for too often, we don't believe it. If we can change the way we see this, this gospel isn't just trying to get us to believe something that isn't true, but surrendering to this gospel is about believing what is already true about us. It's disruptive, because it changes all the ways that we think. You see, the life of faith is really a matter of us learning what it means in practice to be the kind of person that God has been telling us that he's intended for us to be all the way since Genesis chapter one. This is what it looks like in perfect harmony with God, creation, ourselves, and others. And so this morning, what kind of things have you given up on? What kind of places have you just decided this will never happen, this can't change? Perhaps this morning what you need to realize is that God can be the one to give you the strength to reimagine all of the possibilities based upon Christ's death and resurrection. This is possible for us. What I wanna say this morning is it says in 2 Corinthians, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You are not the person you used to be. 
There are so many of us, including myself, I lived a large portion of my life shackled by the person I once was. And not realizing and believing that I am loved by God. And it's changed everything about the way that I live. I began to experience these traits within my life in a growing measure. Because God's already placed it within me. It's not that we need a higher view of divinity. We have too low of a view of humanity, what God can do in us and through us. Peter wants us to hear that. He actually offers a key to unlocking this kind of potential. And he says at the very beginning, add to your what? Faith, goodness. Faith, goodness. Now in the Miller household, the newest game that we have is my favorite game right now because the games that I love more than anything are the games you can unlock things in. You know what I'm saying? Any game where you can play the levels and unlock something else, that's enough for me. I will play that game. Right now we have Cars 3 in the house. Anybody ever played Cars 3 on Xbox One? The best, it's not really, it's kinda, it's kinda lame actually, but it's fun. The boys love it. But what's cool is you start out with like Tomator, but you can see that if you keep playing and go from level to level, eventually you can get Lightning McQueen. That's enough for me. And others. And you can play them on the racetrack. That's exciting. There's an unlocking that takes place. There's something about realizing that if I keep working, being diligent, there's something else that'll unlock as well. Peter says, to have this goodness grow in your life, what you have to do is add it to your faith. The writer seems to suggest and have kind of this assumption that, that faith is a part of already who we are and how we live. This is the beginning. This faith is believing that God can work within us. It's believing that change is possible, believing progress is possible, believing that we can actually level up. When we have that kind of faith, it unlocks all of these different traits within our life. So do you believe that a faith in Jesus offers us the kind of power to be transformed? Do you believe that? Because our belief is gonna be evidenced within our action. The reason I know that you have faith in the chair that you're sitting in this morning is guess what? You're sitting in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. If you would have walked in and be like, I don't trust any chair in this place, I'm not sitting, you would not sit down. But the fact that you're sitting in it has shown that I'm placing my trust in this thing to hold me up, so I'm gonna sit. There are so many people I've experienced in my life who say, I have faith in Jesus, but when it comes to the way they live their life, they don't have evidence that shows that. Yes, I have faith in Jesus, but when it comes to the decision they make in their life, it's not based anything on Christ. It's something else completely. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but when they come through a difficult time, they wanna throw in the towel every single time and not believe that Jesus can actually work within them. This is faith. For a lot of us, we get stuck in addiction, stuck in conflict, stuck in disappointment, in debt, in emptiness. And the evidence of our life would suggest that we don't rest in him, that we don't trust in him. We don't make our decisions based upon him. We don't submit to him. We continue to be cynical about the work of God, cynical about the church. And so because of this, we don't show that we have faith. I want the kind of faith like the man who brings his suffering son to Jesus in the scriptures. And Jesus says to him, anything is possible with faith if you believe. And the man says, I do believe, but what? Help my unbelief. I believe leveling up within our life is holding that tension between seeing and knowing all the places that I have placed my faith in Jesus. But at the same time, all the places that I'm still struggling to put my faith in him. God, I want to, to have faith, I want to believe, but would you help my unbelief and the things that I believe that you can't do? Because faith, add to your faith, 
goodness. It's like it says in the book of John. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. As he's walking through town, he comes to this location. It's a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. Here's what it says in the scriptures in chapter five. Sometime later, Jesus went up to the Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, everybody went hung out at Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called, that's a joke, called Aramaic, it's called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So this pool in Jerusalem is called Bethesda. It's an interesting pool because the word actually has a dual meaning. This word could mean it's a house of grace and a house of mercy. But the other meaning, the alternate meaning, can also mean this is a house of shame and disgrace, which would say to me that all those who came and sat by those waters probably have experienced one of the two, a place of grace and mercy or a place of shame and disgrace. Now, we don't get this, maybe if you have the NIV version within your hands, you, you don't get there's a, a piece of the story that doesn't show up there because other lesser-known manuscripts are used for some different translations, and those manuscripts suggest to us there's a legend that people believed in Jerusalem at this time, that whenever the waters stirred in the pool of Bethesda, it was an angel that was doing it with their wings, and the first person to the pool would be, would be healed. So they would come, and they would lay around this pool. So when Jesus walks up, he finds this man who's been having this issue, this difficulty of whatever it is, for 38 years. 38 years of his life have been on this level, stuck here. And Jesus walks up to him and starts a conversation. Jesus' first question blows my mind. What does he say? Do you want to get well? What? Jesus, he's been doing this for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. Like, how are you gonna ask that question? That's so offensive that you'd walk up to this guy who's been sitting by this pool hoping to get well, and he asks him, do you wanna get well? But this is a crucial question, I think, that Jesus asks, not just for the man, but for us this morning, too. Maybe this man's heart needed to hear this question from Jesus. Because maybe somewhere along the way, the 38 years, this man began to believe this is just kinda how it is. It'll never change. This is what my life is like. This is, this is how it is. And maybe Jesus asking him, do you want to get well? All of a sudden, a new category opens up to this guy. Maybe for 38 years, he's never thought to himself, I could be well. I could be healed. I could experience the next level. I could progress. I could improve. And Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to get well? And maybe that one question was enough for this man to open his heart to say, whatever you say, Jesus, I will obey you. I'll do whatever you say, because I do want to get well. I do want to experience what's next. Maybe for some of us this morning, there is this thing, or these things, or these struggles that have kept us on the level that we've been experiencing for a long time. You've given up a long time ago and never believing that there's any kind of change that could happen here. This is kind of how it is. It's just always going to be like this. I, I can't see it changing in any kind of way. And maybe for some of us in the room, I know I've done this, I've resorted to what the man resorts to. Jesus says, do you wanna get well? And the guy's like, yes, I do. But every time the water stirs, somebody else beats me there. 
I've spent a lot of my life blaming other people for the fact that I can't get to the next level. When simply the question Jesus asks is, do you want to get well? So two questions today. One, do you believe this is possible? Do you believe that God has placed within you all that you need for a life in godliness? God has placed inside of you everything you need to participate in the divine nature. That when we add to our faith goodness, living life as it should be, we experience whole new things, whole new levels. The second question is what Jesus asks, do you even want this? I mean, in the end, if we're honest, do you wanna experience change? Or is it easier just to stay in the place that we are? Would you like to create new habits and kill old ones? Would you like to restore relationships? Would you like to experience freedom? I love how every time Jesus talks to someone in the Gospels, almost always, it's an invitation. Do you want to get well? And it seems to me that every time Jesus asks this question and someone says yes, the next step is surrender. Okay, I do wanna get well, Jesus, and so here's my life. I'll let you call the shots from here. I've gotten to the place that I've, I've gotten to the level that I've got on Jesus by trying to do it on my own and I can't seem to make it to the next and so I'm gonna give you my life and you can help me from here. Here's what I wanna say this morning more than anything. You, every one of you were created for more. No matter where you find yourself, whatever you're experiencing today, you were created for more. You were created for another level, a new way of living. Stop settling for less. Stop just believing this is what life is like. Surrender your life to what Jesus can do. I, I love playing video games with my kids. I love playing with my youngest so much because it's pretty much the same experience every single time. We play long enough and he gets frustrated because again, he can't get to where he wants to get to. He can't do what he wants to get to. And I'm talking like throwing controllers, like very upset for a four-year-old. So eventually I have to stop and be like, listen, Owen, you need to chill for just a second. I, I know you're having trouble, but if you give me that controller just for 30 seconds, I can get you past this thing and it'll be a whole nother level. You'll, you'll experience a whole new thing. But if you wanna stay here, you just hold on to that controller, no big deal. And every time it takes me so long, minutes, to finally pry the controller out of his hand and be like, watch. And then I do the thing and I hand it back. I'm like, there, there, take it from here. And I feel like a lot of us, I've done this in my life for so long where I've had a death grip on the controller of my life. And I know, I know God is saying, listen, let me take it from here. I can take you to places you've never been before. Like if you'll obey me, if you'll listen to me, I've proved it over and over again. I'll take you to places you've never gone to, new levels, new experiences new life. For, for some of us, we just, we just, it's a death grip. We can't let it go. So two questions this morning. Do you believe it's possible for God to work in your life in a way that would transform everything? And number two, do you want it? Do you want it? Would you bow with me? Let's pray. God, first and foremost, I want to declare in this room right now that I do believe, God, that you have given us all that we need by your spirit living and dwelling inside of us. You've given us the opportunity for new life, for new levels, for new experiences, for a maturity that we can't imagine right now. And so God, I pray for every person in this room this morning, Father, I pray that their faith, that you would increase their faith, 
to believe, God, that you can do a work that they can't think of or fathom right now. I pray, God, that you would help us in our belief. God, we do believe, but we need help with our unbelief still. I pray for some of us, God, that you would awaken our hearts to want the right things, to want the next level, to want the new life. And God, I pray that you'd help us to add to our faith goodness on an increasing level more and more and more. May we experience what life is meant to be, hitting on all cylinders, the highest excellence, God. Not just brief time to time, but but more consistently within us, that we might experience the life that you've always intended for us. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for for seeing all of the work that you wanna do within us and inviting us to partner with you. God, we love you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.